Good morning to you. A very blessed. Let me just remove this first, so that you won't think that my face is burning. Thank you, Caroline. It never amazes me that you are always so creative. And now she has a chainsaw with her. I better be careful in the same office. Better don't upset her. This morning, I want to share some thoughts from the book of Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. Since it is Mother's Day, and I thought we could uh, learn some lesson from Hannah. Uh, I want to inspire you. I want to encourage you with this very familiar account from 1 Samuel chapter 1 on the story of Hannah. You know, whenever we look at a passage in the Old Testament, there are two angles that we can look at it. The first one is from a macrocosmic perspective. Looking uh, at a passage in the Old Testament uh, and look at it from a higher perspective and ask ourselves the question of how does this narrative, this short, simple story of narrative fit into God's uh, meta, grand, redemptive purpose and plan so that we can uh, look at the bigger picture and how this little story here connect to God's bigger, grander stories. Or we can like Google Earth, zoom in to this story and draw some very good lessons from Hannah, from the story of Hannah. And I suppose we can do both. Uh, and I'm going to zoom in as well this morning to give you some thoughts and applications from her life. After all, God's Word is a living Word. It's not just a Word for us to study. It's living, powerful, uh, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And so uh, the story begins in 1 Samuel at the, as we just moved from the Judges era into transition into the kingdom era. So it's somewhere in between. Moses led the people out of Egypt. Joshua led them into the promised land and then they were ruled by judges. And here, coming to the tail end of the uh, judges era, and Samuel came along and then later on he anointed uh, King Saul and King David as well. So it's a transition, transition time between the judges era and the kingdom era and then the story of how Samuel came into place. Uh, we're going to talk about his mother, Hannah, this morning. So what I'm going to do is, uh, I don't want just to read through one Samuel. It's a pretty long chapter. So what I'm going to do is to give you four points, just as a guide as we go through the text. And then later on, I will give you uh, some applications. So let's begin uh, with... Uh, Verse 1. Hannah, four points. The first point is Hannah was barren. It's a very uh, uh, familiar story. Hannah was barren. That is from verses 2 to 5. Verse 1, we are introduced to this man called Elkanah. And I'm not going to read all those places' name. Elkanah, which means that God has created. God has created. So verse 2, Elkanah, he had two wives. One was called Hannah, which means a favor or grace. And the other, Penina. Penina means uh, 
coral or jewel uh, or pearl. So he had two wives, Hannah and Penina. Probably Hannah was the first wife uh, and Penina was the second wife. It says that Hannah had, Penina had children, but Hannah had none. So Hannah was barren. And then verse 3, year after year, this man, which is Elkanah, went, went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Penihas, the two sons of Eli, they were, at, at best, they were, they were hypocrite, but at, at worst, they are just pure evil as you read and unfold the book of Samuel. They were priests of the Lord. And then verse 4, whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Penina, and to all her sons and daughters. So there are quite a number of children. We don't know how many uh, Penina had. And verse 5, but to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. And the last sentence in verse 5 is probably very, very difficult to accept by uh, Hannah. And the Lord had closed her womb. And the Lord had closed her womb. Hannah had no children. Why? Uh, it was not because of Elkanah, because he has children. It was not their relationship. It was not her health. She was in her childbearing years. Hannah was barren, according to verse 5, is because of God. It says here, and the Lord had closed her womb. You know, sometimes we suffer in this lives are due to the consequence of our own uh, sin, of our own wrongdoing, and therefore we are reaping, as Galatians 6, 9 says, we reap what we sow. There are some time in our lives we suffer is due to our sin. We suffer the consequence of our action, our sin. But there are things in our lives that we suffer are not due to that. They are sometimes due to God's doing because God has an ultimate purpose in that. And so in this situation where Hannah was uh, suffering, where she for endured many years without children, and here in verse 5 is says that it was from the Lord. And the Lord had closed her womb. She was spiritually disturbed. She was socially disgraced. And she was emotionally depressed. Because in those days, the wife's role uh, was to provide children. And a barren woman at that culture was considered a curse. And Hannah would have been looked down upon. So the first point uh, here that I want to give to you is that Hannah was barren. And secondly, from verse 6 to 8, we can say that Hannah was burdened. Hannah was burdened. And verse 6, repeat again the ending of verse 5. The ending of verse 5 said, And the Lord had closed her womb. And verse 6 said, And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. And I was just uh, looking at 
the prayer that uh, uh, Caroline, Pastor Caroline used from chapter 2 on Hannah's prayer. It says in verse 3 of chapter 2, Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is the God who knows, and by Him deeds are weighed. I don't know, maybe, maybe that is in some way also referring to Penana, but I don't think so. Uh, um, here it just says that Penana, her rival, kept provoking her in order to irritate her. Therefore, she was burdened. And verse 7 says, This went on year after year. And whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Uh, you may be, you may be uh, upset or you may be angry, you may be burdened for something, but when it affects you until you actually lost your appetite, it means to say that you are extremely burdened. Is it not true? I can be upset, but I never miss a meal, you know. Uh, or I can be burdened about something, but come to eating, I eat. Uh, but for Hannah, her rival provoked her till she wept and she would not eat. She just lost all appetite for the basic necessity of life. And in verse 8, her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? It is nice to have a husband who is, who is comforting, but uh, sometimes I just feel that she don't, he doesn't quite understand. Uh, don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Uh, sometimes we are so solution-driven, uh, we don't know how to feel for people's pain. Um, and it tells us a few things here. It tells us something about Penina. Uh, she couldn't just be thankful that she had children, but she just felt she needed to handle and harass Hannah. Here, the words here, provoke, literally means to cause her thunder. She's trying to get Hannah to blow her top. You know, provoking, deliberately, just provoke and to make the person angry. And the word irritate refers to being stirred up inwardly. So both of this irritate and provoke carry the idea of pushing someone to the point of anger. Uh, these problems, of course, broke Hannah's heart. She wept and she refused to eat. Her heart was grieved. Hannah was burdened because she was childless, but Penina didn't care. Elkanah wasn't really burdened. He had other children. Hannah, however, was heartbroken and it showed. So the second thing that we can say about Hannah, not just that she was barren, but she was burdened because she really, really wanted to have a child after being barren for so many years. And the third thing that I want to say to you from verses 9 to 16 is that Hannah was broken. Hannah was absolutely moved beyond the barrier of being burdened. She was absolutely broken. Look at verse 9. Once they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up, and now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorposts of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, 
if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but you give her a son. And then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head. And as she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought that she was drunk, and, she said, and he said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord. Hannah replied, I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my wish and grief. So Hannah was broken. Her weeping led to worship as her tears mingled with her prayers. The kind of prayer that arises from a soul that is completely broken. And it is far, far different than the dry prayers that sometimes I utter. When tears are in our eyes, our prayer comes from the heart. And as you can see from these verses that I've just read to you, it gives us clear information that Hannah was broken by her barren condition. Look at verse 10. Deep anguish, weeping bitterly. And then verse 16 again. Great anguish and grief. Hannah was a broken woman and suffering the pain of a broken heart. She was, she, she was brought to the end of herself. She found herself broken before the Lord. She confessed her inability and she cast herself to the Lord. Ability. And then she make a vow. She said, Lord, if you were to give me a son, uh, I, will, I will return and give this child back to you. And so she make a vow that, he will, that she will dedicate the son to the Lord for his entire life. Her son will become a Levitical priest serving in the temple and a Nazarite. Uh, a Nazarite was bound by vow to be set apart to the Lord's service and had to abstain from the, the fruit of the vine. Was forbidden to cut his hair and was not allowed to get near any dead body. That was uh, in Leviticus that it talks about. And Samson was another Old Testament character who had taken a Nazarite vow. So maybe Samuel had a very long hair. So, because... so here Hannah was uh, was was broken, grief, anguish in her heart, and she made this desperate prayer to the Lord. You know, having worked through years of barrenness and the problems that uh, this caused, Hannah uh, now realizes a very important truth. Your children are, are not just for parents, they are for the Lord. Nothing we have really belongs to us anyway, and that includes our children. They are on loan to us. And it is our job to parent, to shepherd, and to train them for the Lord's work. And so uh, Hannah was, was barren, she was burdened, she was broken, 
And the last point, verses 17 to 23, is Hannah was blessed. Hannah was blessed. Look at verse 17. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. So Eli pronounced a blessing on Hannah. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. And then she went her way. She ate something finally. And her face was no longer downcast. She turned around. Early the next morning, they arose and they worshipped before the Lord. And they went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah. And the Lord remembered her. Verse 20, So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I ask the Lord for him. That's the meaning of Samuel. Heard of God. When her husband Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Elkanah was a religious man. Every year where everybody spiritually gone south, in the book of Judges, the last part of it is that in those days, there was no king and everybody did what they want to do in their own eyes. So, so good or bad is in the eyes of the beholder. Morality is, is relative in the sense, but not so Elkanah. He was a religious man. Every year, he still goes and worships the Lord. And, but Hannah did not go. Verse 22 tells us, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, after the, Lord, the boy is weaned, probably after three years, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, her husband Elkanah told her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, verse 25, they brought the boy to Eli. And she said to him, Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you, praying to the Lord, maybe nine, month, nine months ago. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of. Sorry, more than three years ago. Uh, three, three years and nine months. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I ask of him. So now I, I give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. Hannah was blessed. Every time God opened a closed womb in the Bible, a great character was born. Isaac, Joseph, Samson, Samuel, John the Baptist. Uh, God has a way of, of making kind of all hope cease. And then He came through. So that beyond any doubt, people will know that this is the Lord's doing. Because God can give life. And the Lord blessed to, to prove that the Lord can continue to bless. Do you know how many more children uh, Hannah went on to, to bear? 
another five more children. In chapter 2, verse 21, three sons and two daughters. Sec, sec, uh, 1 Samuel 2, verse 21 tells us that Hannah went on to conceive five more times. Three sons and two daughters. The Lord blessed Hannah. Hannah was barren, she was burdened, she was broken, and she was blessed. And so this morning, uh, I want to go on to give you some uh, application from this simple text, this familiar story, and ask myself this question, what does people of faith look like? This is, this is a simple example of, of a life of Hannah, certain characteristics that she possessed. So what does a, a woman or a man of faith actually look like? Uh, some simple application. The first one is, uh, what does the people of faith look like? I think the people of faith encounter real problem in life. People of faith encounter real problem in life. I know this is it may be a silly point. Everybody say, wow, everybody has, has problems anyway, you know. But it's not true. There are some people who think that just because you believe in God, just because you are a Christian, then you, your life seems to be like smooth sailing, that you have no problems in life. Uh, that is, of course, not the case. I remember a number of years ago, I was in Gold Coast with my wife. We went there for a week, stayed at a, a place where my friend from Singapore owns an apartment there and they let us use the place. And we were there and we went to a nearby shopping area and my wife was inside doing some shopping. I was outside sitting, waiting. Most men do that. And there's another man also sitting there waiting. So one third of my life is spent in sleeping, one third of my life waiting. So we were sitting there waiting. This man was also sitting outside the shop waiting for his wife. And so we started a conversation. And the person asked me, what do you do? So I said, well, I'm a, I'm a minister. I'm a pastor of a church. And he was amazed. And he looked at me, oh, so you're one of those. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. No problem in life. You know, God will solve all your problems. You know, you're one of those. I look at him, I say, how much time do you have? Well, how much time do you have? You want to explain? I say, yes and no. Yes and no. And so there is this perception that because you are a believer and more so because you are a pastor, because you are elders, you are more you know, in the spiritual things, therefore you don't encounter real problems in life. Uh, that is not the case. We all know that. John 16, verse 33, Jesus said that to us before. I've told you this thing so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Thankfully, Jesus didn't stop there. He said, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In this world, you will have trouble. Trouble is part of the world that we live in, in the fallen world that we live in. So long as we are on this side of the earth, until Christ returns, establish new Jerusalem, new heaven and earth, we will encounter problems. Some maybe overprotective parents may want their children to live in the bubble, uh, but the reality is Christians are not living in a bubble. We're not living in a bubble. We encounter struggle uh, all the time. And Albert Einstein said, adversity introduces a man to himself. Adversity introduces a man to himself. You, you get to know yourself even better when you go through struggle. You, you get in touch with who you are. Uh, and this uh, Sri Lankan author called Vino Ramachandra in a book called 
gods that fail. This is what he said. He said, those who believe that they believe in God, but without passion in their hearts, without anguish of mind, without uncertainty, without doubt, and even at times without despair, these people, they only believe in the idea of God, but not in God Himself. In other words, if you are a Christian, you believe in God. If you are a person of faith, problem is part of the landscape. That is a reality. Even the uh, current uh, world-renowned Christian apologist, Ravi Zechariah, his days are numbered now because he, he has received a dire prognosis after a short battle with an aggressive and rare form of cancer in his spine. And the doctor basically say, there's nothing more we can do for you. Go home and spend time with your family. And he wrote in his Twitter account, he said, God knows all, God sees all, and He is sovereign, and He is good. God knows all, God sees all, He is sovereign, and He is good. So the first thing that I want to give to you to set it, to embed it into our lives, so that we won't live in a bubble, and to or your, the, the guys say, oh, you're a hallelujah person, you have no problems. Uh, what does the people of uh, faith look like? People of faith encounter real problems in life. Secondly, uh, people of faith engage in intense prayer. People of faith, uh, not, just en- not just only... Uh, uh, encounter real problems in life. They engage in intense prayer. Like Hannah, she engaged in intense prayer. Burden, tears. Did you know that tears contains only 1% of water and 99% of feelings? And that is why God always holds every tear that falls down. Mark it down, Psalms 56 verse 8. This is beautiful verse. I tried to read different translations to pick up this beautiful verse about tears. Psalms 56 verse 8 in NIV, it says, Record my misery or record my lament. Lease my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? Or New Living Translation is closer to the King James Version. It says, You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book or message version. Eugene Peterson says, you, you have kept track of my every toss and turn through the sleepless nights. Each tear entered in your ledger. Each ache written in your book. So, engage in intense prayer. People of faith engage in burden, broken, you engage in prayer, because tears are prayer too. They travel to God when we can't speak. So God is not blind to your tears. He is never deaf to your prayers, and He's never silent to your pain. He sees, He hears, and He will deliver. Your breakthrough will come soon. Your breakthrough will come soon, and you just have to hang in there. Your breakthrough will come through soon. So people of faith encounter real problems in life. They engage in intense prayer. And the third point is they experience 
God's provisions. They experience God's provision. Like Hannah, she received her intense longing and prayer. But I want to be careful here. Just because Hannah's prayers for her son were answered, that doesn't necessarily mean that you will be given something because you ask for it. But you will receive God's provision, no doubt about it. One way or another, He loves to give good gifts to His children, according to 7 verse 11. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? And so we must believe that God loves us. God will always give us good gifts. Far better maybe than the one that you ask for. Far better. Because He knows what is better. And we have to be careful in this. We must trust and submit ourselves to God, believing that God will provide us. You will experience God's provision. Sometimes it may not be your asking, sometimes in other aspects, that through the process of asking, God transform and change you. Uh, otherwise, we are only making God out to be our image. As J.C. Rye, a very uh, great commentator, said, beware of manufacturing a God of your own. A God who is all mercy, but not just. A God who is all love, but not holy. A God who has a heaven for everybody, but a hell for none. A God who can allow good and bad to be side by side in time, but will make no distinction between good and broad in eternity. Such a God is an idol of your own, as truly an idol as any snake or crocodile in an Egyptian temple. The hands of your own fancy and sentimentality have made him. He is not the God of the Bible. And besides the God of the Bible, there is no God at all. So we, people of faith, trust and believe and experience God's provision but not necessarily in the way that we want it. God is sovereign. God is good. God will give you good gifts, far better than the one that you think is best for you. So people of faith encounter real problems in life. They engage in intense prayer. They experience God's provision. And fourthly, I think people of faith excel in keeping their promises. People of faith always excel in keeping their promises. You know, many people make promises to God uh, only conveniently to forget them once time passes, once their hurdle over, once their struggle over, once their pain is over, once their whatever is over already, everything back to normal, they have forgotten that they make a promise to the Lord. But not so with Hannah. She fully intended to keep her promise because she knew that Samuel did not really belong to her anyway. So faith is always proven through action and not promises. Words are cheap. It doesn't cost you anything to say anything. And that is why Ecclesiastes chapter 5 uh, warned us. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 2 says, Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. So let your words be few. 
A dream comes when there are many cares and many words mark the speech of a fool. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin and do not protest to the temple messenger by vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. So, people of faith always excel in keeping their promises. Like Hannah fulfilled her promise that she made to the Lord. If you really understand the environment in the temple at that time, no parents will send their kids to be to the temple. No way. Eli, the two sons, they were just the two sons were just evil. And you still send knowing the environment is so corrupt. But Hannah said, Well, a promise is a promise. A promise is a promise. We have to keep our promise. You have to be men and women of your word. And lastly, before I finish, last one is people of faith encounter real problems in life, engage in intense prayer, experience God's provision, they excel in keeping their promises. The last one is they exalt and worship God. It's in, it's in chapter 2. Uh, he, they exalt, they worship God. That's what people of faith always do. They always exalt and worship God. We don't have the time this morning to plumb into the depths of Hannah's beautiful psalms of praise. This is one of those prayers in the Bible. Hannah, Mary, Manificat, and, and other parts in the Scripture. But I do, not want to, I do want to point out that there is no element of sadness here at all. She has just dropped off Samuel at the temple after having him for three years. And now she breaks out into praise. She was thrilled to be able to parent a prophet. And that is why uh, Pastor Caroline has read to us already, verse 1, say, Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn, my mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. The people of faith always pray, breaks out and exalt and worship and thank the Lord. God gives us a gift of 86,400 seconds today. Have you used one to say thank you? Some of us don't even say grace before we eat, which is the basic Christian habit of saying even the most basic necessity of life, I want to thank God. Our words reveal our thoughts. Our manners mirror our self-esteem. Our actions reflect our character and our habits predict the future. Whatever habits you have now, your future will be. Gratitude unlocks the fullness of life. It turns what we have into enough and even more. It turns deny into acceptance when we are gratitude, when we are grateful. It turns chaos to order, confusion to clarity. It can turn a meal into a feast. It can turn a house into a home. 
It can turn the stranger into a friend if we know how to be grateful. Hannah is an example of a woman of faith. She endures years of silent suffering because of her barrenness and the cruel harassment at the hand of her rival, Panana. She goes to the place of worship knowing how painful it is. Nevertheless, she goes. She faithfully worships, pouring out her heart, her tears and petitions. And when God answers her prayers, she not only keeps her promise, she explodes with praise. Hannah was barren, burdened, broken, and blessed. And we are people of faith. We encounter real problems. We engage in intense prayer. We experience God's provision. We excel in keeping our promise that we make to God. And we exalt and we worship God. This is the beautiful story of Hannah. Let me just close with this story uh, on this Mother's Day as well as a mission month, mission focus. I want to share this beautiful story and then I'm done. I came across this true story that happened during the Holocaust. This guy by the name of Solomon Rosenberg. His wife and their two sons were arrested and placed in concentration camp. The rules were very simple. As we know, we read of literature in the, during that time. The rules were very simple. As long as they did their work, they were permitted to live. When they became too weak to work, they would be exterminated. Simple as that, those days. And Rosenberg watched as his own father and mother were much off to their death. And he knew that his youngest son, David, would be next because he had always been a frail child. So every evening, Rosenberg came back into the barracks after his hours of hard labor, and he would search for the faces of the family, his family. And when he found them, they would huddle together, uh, embrace one another, and they are so thankful to God for another day that they could live together. And one day he came back, and uh, he didn't see those familiar faces. So he finally discovered his oldest son, Joshua, in a corner, sobbing and praying. And Solomon Rosenberg looked at his son and said, Josh, please tell me it's not true. Joshua turned to his dad and said, Dad, it's true. Today, David was not strong enough to do his work. And so they took him away. And so Mr. Rosenberg then asked, but where is mommy? Joshua could barely speak and finally he uttered, well, when they came for David, David was afraid and David cried. So mom took his hand and went with him. Mom took his hand and went with him. Well, that's a sacrificial love, isn't it, of a mother? And more so, God who sent his son for us. And more so, now that we are redeemed, we are saved. Sacrificial living is part of us. There's work need to be done, uh, mission work. And this month, we want to focus on that. We want to concentrate on that. And we want to give to the Lord. If you can't go, we can give.
you can give so that those who are in the field can continue to do the work. We can support, we can pray, we can go. So let me just lead you in the time of prayer as we end this session. Father in heaven, we thank you for this beautiful story of Hannah. It is so simple and it is so profound. It reminds us of a woman of faith. And what does a people of faith should look like? Uh, we encounter real problems. We have many problems in life, some of us more than others. Uh, at the same time, we, we can engage. We want to pray. We want to bring all our concern, our burden to prayer. And we experience your good provision in whatever way because you love to good, give good gifts to us. We will experience breakthrough in our lives. And we will always remember to keep our promise and to always exhort and to always worship you. You are a good God. Thank you, Lord, for saving us, redeeming us. And for us now, we do our part to honor our mothers. And as well as this mission month, we remember those who do not know Jesus. And that we can play a part in sowing, in supporting, in praying, in giving, so that the work can carry on. Lord, we talk so much about second coming of Christ with this coronavirus, as we talk so much about the end times and all that. We talk about second coming of Christ when there are many who have not heard of the first coming. So help us stir our hearts for heart of mission. Thank you, Lord. We bless you and we love you. Uh, we thank you. Be the amazing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, His unconditional and unfailing love of God, and His fellowship and the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore.